This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. And this is our fourth week of You Ask and We Answered and About Friendship. So I don't know how in the world you can put what a friend and friendship is in the words. I think you kind of have to live it. But I will say this, uh, trying to expand on it this week has really helped me appreciate even more the friends I have and, and what friendship truly means. And, and I've got a lot of friends here. Uh, there's some of you guys I haven't met yet or, or don't know on an intimate basis, but I've got a lot of friends, uh, my small group and some other friends around we set up with. And, and I hope you guys think I'm a friend to you because I learned from you about how to be a friend. And there was another guy that I want to share just a moment with you that was kind of important about me helping to understand what a friend was and what a friend is supposed to be other than just getting all the reward we're supposed to give some of that but and that was my father-in-law Jesse he's been dead now for some 20 odd years uh, died in 88 but he still have has a lasting effect on me now we all expect mom and dad they they were good examples and taught me a lot about friendship as well mom getting up and taking me to church every week when I was a kid but you expect that from mom and dad but from a father-in-law I mean I, after all I took his baby girl away from him and yet he still uh, was a friend to me and like me we had a great relationship for the few years that I did get to know him Actually, after a while, I started to work with Jesse. He had a small construction company here in, in Albemarle, and uh, I became one of his carpenters. Started out as a mason and found out I, I really couldn't do mason work. And, uh, but anyway, was doing carpentry work, and I was uh, a leader over a crew and, and was doing that one time. And he came by one day and said, Jim, he always called me Jim, Jim, I got you some help today. I said, Okay, I didn't really realize we needed help, but after all, he was the boss. Okay, that's good, you know. Uh, uh, what kind of experience has he got? Oh, he, he's a greenhorn. He don't have any, but he can tote plywood or do whatever. He'll be a good helper for you because, you see, he's been laid off from Alcoa, and he needs a job to feed his family. You see, I was young and ambitious, and here Jesse, he's older and more mature, and he realizes that uh, sometimes it's more about life than just drawing a paycheck, making money, but you've got to help other folks out. And I think that's why he was always so successful in his business, is that he would hire folks, a lot of times even though he didn't need them, but he looked at people uh, about them, not about himself or his company. And as we went on in time, got a little bit more, I matured in the company, and he started bringing me in, teaching me a few things about the finances of it and what have you and we were doing a job one time and I said Jesse it looks like we're doing this job a little bit cheap he said well Jim it ain't always about the money he said I've been doing this and he named how long it was a long time because Jesse was in his 50s then and started as a young man he said I've been doing this so many years and you know we've never been out of work Lord's blessed us and uh, word of mouth means a lot more sometimes than the money you may get so you never know what this would do for you down the road and, and we would do jobs once in a while for maybe a, a widow lady or for an older couple or something. And he would maybe even not charge them at all or just barely charge them if it wasn't nothing to go by but fix their antenna or, or do something that older folks couldn't do about getting on top of a house. 
And, and Jesse started showing me at a young age that this is something that I need to do because I'm young, I'm ambitious, I'm all about Jimmy. But he started teaching me, no, it's more about the other folks. It's about making friends, about being a good Samaritan. It's about being selfless, Jimmy. And, and that's our first point this morning in your notes. To be a good friend, you must be selfless. To be a good friend, you must be selfless. There's a good story in the Bible of Jonathan and David about friendship and about selfless. So I want to just expand on that a little bit and kind of use that as a backdrop because even though Jesse was a good friend of mine, a great father-in-law, you know, he's not biblical, is he? So I want to use the scripture to prove this, a lot of things about friendship and where we're going there. But before I get into Jonathan and David, let me give you just a little background about who Jonathan is because Jonathan was the son of the king, King Saul. Uh, back in that day, Israel, for a period of time, Israel didn't have a king. And they were led kind of by priests and what God was leading the priests to do. And, you know, sometimes we get ahead of God, don't we? Well, that's the way the Israelites wanted. They, they were kind of getting beat up a little bit in battles by the Philistines. And, and they said, they told Samuel, the high priest, we need a king. We need somebody can lead us in battle and, and can win. You know, we need this for our country. We, we've been without a king too long. We need a king, a leader. So Samuel didn't really want to do it, but they were forcing him to. And God kind of told Samuel, let them have what they want. Wow, does that sound familiar? They want a king, so let them have what they want. Now, God allowed that, and, and he did anoint Saul to be the appointed king at that time. But sometimes I'm afraid maybe we get ahead of God, and it was not in his plans completely. But as the story would have it, God allowed it. But David was going to be the anointed king that God wanted. David was just a little shepherd boy. And Samuel, God told Samuel, the high priest, to go out into the family of Jesse. And he had seven sons or whatever and to go see these sons. Well, he went through them all and, and they all were good king material. But he just didn't feel right. He knew that was not one. And God said, no, it's none of them. And he asked Jesse, do you have any more sons? Sure enough, I've got one more of my youngest. He's out in the field because he's a shepherd. <clears throat> excuse me so david came in and god told samuel this is the one i want you to anoint king and to make the story short david was anointed king but david was not the sitting king saul still was a sitting king and david wasn't going to buck the system but um, have you heard of the story of david and the goliath We've probably heard that from a child. Well, Goliath was a giant Philistine that was mocking and wreaking havoc with the Israelites. And David kind of got tired of him doing that, mocking his God and his king and his, who he represented. So David stood up to him and actually killed Goliath with a slingshot and, or a sling. And Saul was curious to see, who is this man of passion that is going to fight for our country? I need to see this man. So he asked David, he sends messengers, asked David to come to the palace and meet him. Here's kind of how it went down. And this is the first time that Jonathan is meeting David. So I want to read that to you. It comes from uh, 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 58 and then 18. And Saul said to him, David, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan, you know, the prince, the heir to the throne, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, I don't know about you, but David had me at hello. 
Or maybe it was when he said, I'm the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, because he used that big word. Uh, I'm being facetious, okay. But that's the point I want to make, is you don't get all of the story from just this sometimes. And it does say, when David had finished speaking. So I'm sure he said a lot more than I'm just the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. I'm sure David went on to tell some other things about who he was. And as he was speaking, there became a kindred spirit between Jonathan and David. Have you ever had that? I hope you have. You just meet someone and you just know, you know, I just love this guy, this girl, this person. You know, they just, you just want to be with them. They're, they're so friendly and lovable. I think that's kind of what was going on here. Plus, I really believe God started impressing on Jonathan's heart who David was. And so they've struck up a friendship and became very good friends. Uh, Jonathan even was willing to denounce his throne, his, friend, his prince, uh, his royal hood. He gave him his royal robe. He gave him his royal armor, his sword, his, his belt, whatever. I mean, in, in that day, you just didn't give up your sword, especially when you were like the captain of the army and go out and fight. But that's how much he loved David and, and how they needed together their souls. And as the story would have it, uh, David was very good in battle. And as he was winning battles, he was, Saul put him head over his arm. And as he was winning battles, he was coming back into town. And boy, the people were waving and chanting and cheering for him. The scripture even says the girls were frolic and wave. And, and oh boy, he said, they said, Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Well, this rubbed Saul the wrong way. He started to become jealous. And he said, look at him. I think if the girls hadn't frolicked around, he would have probably been all right. But when they started dancing and giggling and smiling and you know, that got Saul's dander up, and he was jealous, so uh, he tried to kill David. He honestly tried to kill him. And as the story would have it, he was, David escaped to the desert, and he had numerous times that God really, I think, put Saul in a place where handing him over to David. But David would not kill him because he was the sitting king. He was anointed as far as David was concerned of God. And he didn't want his grandchildren to say, well, Pop, how did you become king? Well, you know, I, I killed the king, the other king they had, so that's how I did it. It's not a good way to be, is it, to your heritage? So David respected who Saul was. But in, as the story would go from time to time, David would have to escape. And doing all this, he and Jonathan become such good friends. They even made a friend covenant. Jonathan and David made that friend covenant. And one time, uh, Jonathan went to his dad and he said, Dad, why are you trying to sin against David? He's done nothing to you. He's done nothing but help you. He's always been faithful and loyal and fought our battles. He said, Son, long as the son of Jesse is alive, you're never going to have your rightful throne. So he said he was thinking Saul not only about himself but about Jonathan. And, but Jonathan didn't care about his throne. He loved this guy, and I think he knew that Jonathan, that David, excuse me, that David was the anointed king and was the anointed person of God. And I knew, I think David knew, I knew he knew because he asked Jonathan to help him escape from his dad. And he eventually got to escape with Jonathan's help. So I, I think that, I know that David needed Jonathan, but I think also that Jonathan knew he needed David. They both needed each other to be able to fulfill what God had called them to do. And that's the next thing in your notes. Point two. We all need friends to live the life that God has called us to live. We all need friends to live the life that God has called us to live. 
Now, God's existed in uh, eternal community himself. He's, he's always been in the community of uh, the Trinity. We sang about it a moment ago. I believe in God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, God is, as Christians, we believe that God is one person, but he's three persons in one person. So I know sometimes that gets kind of strange, but we don't know all the mysteries of God, do we? But we can see evidence of Jesus Christ and evidence of the Holy Spirit. And God has lived in that community of the triune all time. But I believe also there's something I want to make a point here, too, that, that God desires to have friends. Because in Genesis 1, 26, let's expand on that a little bit. God said, let us, talking about the Trinity, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created the earth, and then he, he spoke to the earth, and he said, out of the earth you create every living thing like plants and trees. And then he created Adam. He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And he did. And Adam became, so to speak, a mini-me, if you will. And that's very important to remember that created in our image and in our likeness because as adam was going and god gave him dominion over the earth and he was naming animals and he said oh yeah i like that it, that animal looks like a deer this one roaring he looks like a lion so he and and look at this little he's so cute he's so sweet little puppy dog i'm gonna name him a dog look at his floppy ears he's so lovable and even with a lovable cuddly dog there was still something missing in adam's life so he needed a companion. He needed a friend. And God created woman. But think about that for a moment. I want us not to overlook that great point. That God created Adam. And he said, all right, Adam was going to be in our image, the, the Trinity. You might say my image of God. He's in our image and our likeness. So if he's like God, we're like Adam. That means we have some of the same likes and dislikes that God. So I desire friends. God desires friends. He wants us to be his friend. Now, I don't know about you, but that excites me uh, to think that God, and I'm that much like God, and he likes me and wants to be my friend, wants to have a covenant with me. You know, Jesus, when he was walking on the earth, he even made friends and, and called people to follow him. He had some friends that uh, Lazarus, have you ever heard of Lazarus? That's one person that Jesus raised from the dead. Well, Lazarus also had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus, like, and his disciples, they like to go by their house. Numerous times in the Bible, it shows that Jesus is at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And I like to think that was his life group. And I know here at Vortex, we have what we call life groups, small groups, friend groups that we do things together, whether it be playing disc golf or playing music or setting up serving or, or whatever. We do life together. And I think Jesus needed this life group to go over there from time to time and just unwind and to be loved on and to love, and that's kind of what he did. So he calls small groups, and if he needed it, then I know we need it. Uh, just last year, I want to share a story about my small group, my life group here at Vortex. We've grown to 18, 20, whatever we are now. Uh, sometimes it's hard for me to keep up. But last year, something very tragic happened in my life. Some of you know, but those of you that don't, I lost my best buddy, my brother-in-law, Gary. We lost Gary to cancer. And uh, 
as would have it, you know, as good Christians, my small group, they wanted to do something. And, you know, we always, what can we do? You know, we just, we, we hurt with you. We want to help. What can we do? So what do we do as Christians? We always eat. We bake, right? You girls bake, and us guys act like we have a hand in it. We just there to show up to enjoy the fruits of your labor. But our small group, we finally said, okay, yeah, you guys, after we come back from the funeral, you guys make us a meal. And that's what our small group did. They, they had a feast spread out. Well, they thought they were going to feed our family. And uh, as we came from the funeral home back to the home where we met, it's actually where we have our small group meetings when we do meet. And it was just my immediate family, which is the wife, the daughter, the kids, and uh, sister-in-law, and, and then my, uh, my wife's older sister and her nef- niece from the beach. So there were not but a handful of us. And we had all this food. And the small group didn't think they were going to eat with us, but we said, yes, you, you, you're going to eat with us. That's when I really, really started discovering, too, what friends were. Uh, they agreed to eat with us, and, and the family was standing around here. And, and then the, our group, since they're 18 or 20, they were kind of all spread out. And, and I still remember this so vividly right now. I can just see them. And, and as, you know, I'm the mouthpiece of the family. I'm the preacher. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to thank everybody and say the blessing. And, and so I, I was going to thank these guys for being here and for the wonderful food, the spread they had. And, and as they were standing around the room, I was looking into their faces, and, and I could see tears. In some of their eyes. And I could see frowns in some of their eyes because they were hurting with us. But I could see smiles on some of their faces too because you see, they love us. And as I was watching them, this peace and contentment, like I surely wasn't expecting, even though the Bible says we can have it, I surely wasn't expecting that day because I was beat down. I was beat down. It's like a warm blanket. You know, it was just wrapped around me almost, just seeing them and them loving on me. And I can't, I wish I could put it into words, but I can't. But let me just give you this example. It's the best thing that I know. Other than maybe when you're a kid and you're expecting Santa to come and you wake up that morning. Other than that, as an adult, I'm sure you've probably been sick before with a, with a nasty old cruddy cold or something. Not bad enough to have the flu to get down, but just bad enough to make you feel awful and wish you could get down. And you're at work, and it's gray out, and it's raining, and it's probably cloudy, whatever, and it's just a dreary, dreary day, and, and your aches and pains seem to be multiplied because of that, and you think, i got to get off work and just go home and, and rest. So you go home, and you take a big shot of NyQuil, and you get a goody powder or some bear, whatever you like to take, and you go wrap up and get in your good warm bed, the security of your own bed, the warmth of your own bed. And after about five minutes, that medication starts to take place. And you start to get this peace and this comfort and this warmth. And you realize, thank you, Lord, I am going to finally rest and be all right. And you fall off into a deep sleep. That kind of comfort is the best I can describe of what that group did for me that day. And I started realizing how important friends are and what friends can be to you. And now, believe me, in our small group, there's a couple Jimmys. You know, I'm a Jimmy and there's a couple Jimmys in there, really by name. And I'm an Udi, and there's a couple Udi groups in there, and not, not Ken, maybe real distant, but there's a couple Udis in our group as too. So you can tell already in our small group, there's a couple of hard knots, and there's a, a few that need a little bit of a courtesy extended to them from time to time. Now, I love them, and they're friends, but even in friends, once in a while, we get aggravated, don't we, with one another. So we've got to extend that courtesy. 
And it's no different now, guys, than it was in Jesus' life either. You remember when I told you he liked to go to Mary and Martha's house from time to time? I can just see it now. Lazarus maybe walks outside the house. He's in the street. Hey, Philip, the youngest disciple, what are you guys doing tonight? See, Philip's young. He's probably out wandering the streets, you know, seeing what he can do. And Philip says, I don't know. Uh, I'll ask Jesus. But uh, And Lazarus said, well, look, Mary and Martha's cooking a spread. You guys, if you can, come on over tonight after you do what you're doing. He says, yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll be able to come over. Sure enough, they do. They go to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, and they're sitting in the living room and really getting into it. And Jesus is teaching, and the, he and the disciples are loving on them. They're loving on each other. And Mary's right at the feet of Jesus, right where she needs to be. Well, Martha's in the kitchen, her sister, and she's cooking and trying to prepare. Looks out there, my gosh, there's 20, 30 people here. How am I going to get all this food done? And she walks the door. Jesus, would you ask Mary to get up from your feet and come and help me? If you guys are going to eat, somebody's going to have to prepare this meal. I need help. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. He has to say her name twice. That really gets your attention. Martha, Mary is doing what is needful. She is doing what is best, and this will not be taken away from her. In essence, Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, give Mary a little bit of grace and we will give you, we will extend grace to you. Extending grace, that's the next, the last point in our notes this morning. The only way to be a friend or sustain friendship is grace. The only way to be a good friend or sustain that friendship is grace. You know, last week, Pastor Kevin said a phrase that really stuck with me, and I love it, and I'm trying to use it, and I hope I can continue to use that because it's really helpful. He said, grace prevents a wrong from becoming a wound. Say it with me. Grace prevents a wrong from becoming a wound. One more time. Grace prevents a wrong from becoming a wound. Jesus knew that. He said, Martha, give Mary a little bit of grace. Don't say something you're going to regret and that wound is a sore from here on. Extend grace. And that's what we have to do as friends from time to time. You know, what is so good about friends is friends, I saw a plaque one time that said this and I fell in love with it. Friends are the family we get to choose. So if I don't want you in my family as a friend, I don't have to choose you. I can give you grace, but maybe not the kind that you're my friend. But we've all got family members, like when you go to a reunion, there's an Uncle Billy Bob on your mom's side, and you're there in the food line, and he's fingering over every bit of the food. And you think, Bob, we got to eat out of that too. So he's just going, mm, that is good. You try some of that? Who made this? You know, you just, you've got to overlook him. you got to put up with Billy Bob because he's in your family. But friends, they're the family that we get to choose. And that's what's so great about them. And, and, and in being friends, and we choose them, Something we overlook sometimes is I think we need to value friendship. I have learned that this week so much. And through my life group, my small group, we need to value our friendship. And we need to honor our friends. You know, David did exactly that. I remember back at the first of the story, I told you that David and Jonathan made a friend covenant. Well, part of that story I didn't tell you, but I'm going to share with you now because I think it'll help you understand. Jonathan... Uh, and, and Saul went on after David escaped, and they went on to fight in the battle and were killed. But right before that battle, and right before David left, Jonathan reminded David and renewed his friendship, and he said, David, remember my friend covenant with you. 
And after all your enemies are dead, whether I'm alive, we will continue our friend covenant, or if I'm dead and gone, remember my family and our covenant forever. And that's what David did. David called out Zeba, which was a guy that was in charge of uh, Saul's getting his stuff in order, his household in order. So he called Zeba and he said, Zeba, is there anybody left in Saul's family, Jonathan's family, anybody? And he said, well, there's, there's you know, a lame boy out in Lodabar. Uh, not north to bar, south to bar, but Lodabar. So he said, there, he didn't even call his name. Yeah, there's a lame boy, but and it's almost like he said, he's not fit for the palace, you know, you don't want him. He said, what's his name? He said, Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son, a grandson to the throne of the king, what used to be king. And by the way, I hate I didn't preach just a few months back because we've had several babies born in our church recently. And boy, Zeba or Mephibosheth, that'd be a great name, wouldn't it? I mean, you stand out in school, wouldn't you, Mephibosheth, little Mophib, you know, that'd be great. So, so if you're pregnant, guys, keep that in mind. You may, you may like that one. I kind of like it. I'm not. I'm partial to Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, was lame because after the Saul was killed and Jonathan was killed, the Philistines were very brutal people. His nursemaid heard of this, picked the child up, was, was a toddler, so to speak, was trying to run away and escape with him and fail. I don't know if she fell on him or dropped him or what, but anyway, both his legs were broken and he was lame the rest of his life. Now, here's a guy that is lame, in fear of his life, lived in Lodabar, kind of like exile, because nobody wants to go to Lodabar. The meaning of no fields and no pastures is what it represents. It's like a living in a desert. But nobody wanted to go there, so he felt like he was safe. You live in Lodabar as an adult, all your life, and you're in fear of the new king is going to find out someday you're there. Well, sure enough, David summons for Mephibosheth, and as he's brought to the palace, he's in fear for his life. And then he looks at him and he says, get the royal robe. He places the robe around him. He said, from this day forward, you will sit at the table of the king. Now, he could have sent money. He could have built him a house, sent money, uh, set up an annuity fund or something, and, and Mephibosheth would have been fine the rest of his life. But that's not what he wanted to do. Remember that friend covenant that he made with his friend. And think about it, guys. He was scared. He was probably lonely. He was handicapped. Maybe couldn't even provide everything for himself lived in the lowest parts of the world, and now he's living in the palace. Isn't that kind of what Christ does for us? In John 15, Christ says, Guys, I no longer call you servants or slaves, but I call you friend. Jesus calls us friends. Let me share a story. Maybe this will help along with the story of Mephibosheth and how he went from poverty to being a royal family. True story. Maybe this will put friendship and grace together. It happened right after World War I. Uh, America had allocated quite a bit of money for orphanages around because, of course, the war, you know, takes its toll, and there were so many orphans around, so we as good Samaritans in America were, were helping with the orphanages. And in one certain orphanage in, in Europe, this tall, frail, sickly, skinny-looking man came in with a, a very skinny-looking, sickly-looking girl, his daughter. And he walks up to the counter, and he asks the guy in charge of the orphan, he said, would you take my daughter and look after her? And the guy says, uh, 
you said daughter, your daughter. Yes, this is my daughter. And he said, well, sir, I'm sorry, but this is an orphanage. And if either if your daughter, either one of her parents are still living, we cannot take her. And he says, but sir, you don't understand. Uh, I've, I've just been released from a war prison and, and I got sick in prison and I'm I'm afraid that I can't even sustain my own life, much less my daughter's. And look at her now. She's so frail. And, and the guy felt compassion and and he talked with somebody, but he said, sir, I'm sorry, we, we, we have rules. And if either one of her parents are living, then we cannot take her as much as we would like to. And the man says, let me get this straight. If, if I was not alive, then you could take my daughter. She would have a home. She would have food to eat, and she would have clothes to wear and even have friends. He said, yes, sir, but she's not. And before... He could keep on talking. The man interrupted me. He picked up his daughter. He hugged her, kissed her, and he probably, I'm sure, whispered a few things to her. He set her back down. He took her hand, placed it in the hand of the man running the orphanage, and said, I will arrange it. He walks outside and hangs himself. Now, to share that story with you, because one day, Jesus was in heaven. And he goes to the Father, and Jesus said, let me get this straight. If I die, then they can have a home and a life here with you. And God said, that's right. So Jesus took my hand, placed it in the Father's hand, left the security of heaven, went and hung on a cross for me. The death of Jesus, the sacrifice he made of wanting to be my friend, he built a bridge. He has a path that you and I can have a home in heaven. That opens us up down here. He's opened up so much for our friendships with one another, but more especially our friendship with him. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.